Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, Kelly Moore stops by as we get ready for the NHL Draft. Round one Thursday, he's in Montreal. Plus, Derek Taylor joins us to talk about the Montreal Alouettes decision to fire Kahari Jones and the big Blue Bomber game in BC this weekend. That's coming up on the podcast. Kelly Moore in Montreal, providing draft coverage for CJOB for True North Motors and RV. RVs cost less in Selkirk, truenorthmotors.ca. Kelly, you got to Montreal safely, I presume? Safely, on time, and with my luggage. I consider that a hat trick of the ultimate degree. Awesome stuff. Good to know that you're there. Everyone got there safely, and uh, you got to talk to Kevin Chevel day off today. We'll hear some of the clips coming up later on this half hour, but just the, what's the general sense going into tomorrow from the Winnipeg Jets point of view that you got? Boy, you know, because there is just no clarity whatsoever. I mean, even on the number one overall pick, Christian, I think there's going to be a little drama right around, well, maybe just a little bit before uh, we're speaking here now, 24 hours from now. But I think they're there probably is a lot of conversation within the Canadians inner circle as well. Do we make it Ures Slavkovsky or do we go with Shane Wright? You know, Slavkovsky was great in the Olympics and he was great in the world championship, but he was just okay. Now playing in a men's league for sure, but just okay in the regular season. So, you know, as good as he was in the world championship in the Olympics, you have to wonder, is he an event type player as opposed to the, you know, a guy that can, bring that level of skill and compete and passion on a nightly basis during the regular season. Whereas Shane Wright might not, you know, have been as, uh, 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 <laughs> making his way onto the radar screens that Slavkovsky was during the, you know, the two, uh, world, uh, championship and, and Olympic events. But Shane Wright is about as safe a pick, I think, as you could possibly make. However, you know, having said that, uh, being that number one overall pick in Montreal, and I'll remember Doug Wickenheiser's name tonight. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, it, the last time the Canadians had a number one overall, it just did not work out for them. They're constantly reminded of how well Denny Savard played for Chicago as the three uh, number three pick in that 1980 draft. Uh, so I, I think get, getting back to the Jets, there's just no clarity on who they're going to select with that 14th pick. I mean, Kevin Shoveldayoff even admitted today in their scouting meetings, their lists are all over the place. So he can only imagine what the lists of other NHL teams uh, look like. So, you know, after you get through the first four or five tomorrow night, boy, I'll tell you, it is really going to be interesting for Dine and the Wool hockey fans who've been following this stuff pretty closely. Well, and we got to remember, and we've talked about this before, the Jets, it's not like they're unfamiliar with drafting in this range, right? In the 14th sure. spot, they've picked a lot of players, not necessarily in that exact location, but in the teens for sure, or in the, the low single digits, like 7th to 10th. And yeah. so you're always sitting around waiting to see who might fall, right? And Cole Perfetti fell to them at 10 a couple of years ago. They did not expect that. Someone's probably going to come at 14 where they're like, oh, well, we were maybe going to go for fit, but this guy's still here, so we're just going to take him. Do you... Do you uh, in your own personal philosophy, value fit or just taking the best player available if you're picking 14th? Uh, I think with your first overall pick of a draft, I think you have to go for the best player available, Christian. And then you can address maybe some, you know, uh, depth issues 
from an organizational point of view later on in the draft. Uh, but I think it always has to be the best player available. Uh, but it's kind of interesting that over the years, uh, you know, the Jets with their first round draft picks, we talked about this last night, four setters, four defensemen, four left wings. They've never uh, taken a right winger uh, with a player whom they've chosen first in a draft. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens there. Keep coming back to, uh, I just wonder if the Russian factor comes into play and a guy like Pavel Minchikov, who probably would go, you know, 10, 11 or 12 or something like that. Will he still be available at 14? And then how tempting it is for the Winnipeg Jets to say, well, you know what? We might have to wait for this guy for a couple of years. Let's take him anyway. Uh, because, uh, you know, they're, they're still very high on Nikita Chibrikov and uh, uh, Dmitry Ryshevsky, and they they think those guys are going to come here and play uh, uh, for the Moose uh, to cut their teeth professionally in North America in 2023-24. But I don't know that there's anybody in the world, maybe other than Vladimir Putin, who could know that for sure. Uh, so it'll be it'll be really interesting. Pavel Minchikov is a guy that uh, uh, I think is going to bear some watching. And and a f- familiar name, you know, it sounds like Matt Savoy is going to go top 10. I remember when the Winnipeg Ice drafted him first overall in the Bantam draft. You know, he was right there with Shane Wright uh, as far as, you know, who might be the first overall pick in that 2022 draft. Uh, but, you know, most most of the, uh, the, uh, the prognosticators have Savoy either going to Ottawa or Buffalo because he's a really good fit there. Um, you know, so that leaves, you know, a defenseman like Kevin Korczynski, who's, uh, like Owen Pickering has a lot of momentum going into the draft. Uh, Danila Yurov is another Russian forward that is very, uh, very much in the Jets wheelhouse. But again, do you want to take a chance there? Another name that's been mentioned more often lately, Christian, on mock drafts than earlier on is Marco Kasper. Uh, who's an Austrian-born player. Uh, I think he played in the Swedish League, of memory serves me correct. And the big calling card for him is his maturity and his versatility and that he can play all three forward lines. So you could check off a lot of boxes by drafting a, a guy like Marco Casper. He, he may not you know, light up uh, uh, the, the world for you, but uh, when you have a guy that can uh, play right across the board up front, I think that's a pretty valuable commodity to have as well. How important is it when we're looking at who gets picked tomorrow, Friday, and then the expectations of these players to remember that the players in Ontario didn't play last year and the Western Hockey League players had this kind of small bubble experience. It was almost a year lost in development for a lot of these players. And that's why Cole Perfetti is always so uh, you know, he comes across being very gratified that he had the chance that he did with the Manitoba Moose. You know, he was one of the chosen few who were able to, uh, you know, survive that uh, situation. I don't want to say survive, but to uh, to not be affected uh, by that situation to the same degree uh, that some of his OHL counterparts were. So, yeah, Christian, you're absolutely right. That, I think, is one of the reasons why, uh, you know, there's there's a little bit of uh, risk and reward involved when you're selecting an OHL player who you haven't seen as much as you might have seen a kid playing over in Europe uh, or or uh, playing in the Western Hockey League. Uh, but uh, 
uh, you know, I don't think it's going to affect a kid like Shane Wright, but, uh, you know, there's some others that, uh, you know, that uh, you take a look at. Uh, there's a, a kid by the name of Luca Del Bell Bellows uh, who played for uh, Mississauga. And, uh, you, you know, you wonder for a kid like him who's kind of on the bottom end of the first round, does he get forgotten maybe because a couple of people go off the board early and then, you know, some of those more familiar names, some of those safer names slide through. So that's why I say it's uh, it's going to be very, very interesting what happens tomorrow night. And then, of course, you know, who reaps the benefits of that early Friday morning, well, Friday morning, rather, uh, in the uh, early part of the second round? Always associated with the draft is the expectation that there could be a lot of deals. Often on day one, there are way fewer than we maybe thought there would be going in. That's at least been the case the last number of years. Do you get the sense that there could be trades? Are the Winnipeg Jets, with all the rumors swirling about their lineup's future, do you get the sense that a move is coming this week, or would it more likely happen later in the offseason? I think it's one of those things. I was talking to our, our colleague Murata Tesh of The Athletic about this while we were waiting for Kevin Cheveldayoff to come out of the general manager's meetings this afternoon. And even if nothing happens this week, you know, how often do you hear the seeds were sown, you know, during a conversation uh, uh, during the draft, you know, and then it, and then it just kind of uh, grew from there. Uh, but I also think that, you know, if the Winnipeg, I guess it all depends, Christian, uh, you know, in, in what the Jets decide coming out of the draft, if they want to uh, take a swing at, at something in free agency, they're going to have to create some cap space. So therefore, you know, they would have to. Uh, make a trade that would involve a guy like Blake Wheeler. I I still don't think as much as, and I could be totally wrong on this, but I just see the Jets being ultra patient with Pierre-Luc Dubois, even though he has stated uh, that he wants to uh, uh, test the free agent market in 2023 uh, or in 2024, I guess it would be at the end of that season. Uh, I, I still think the Jets are going to be patient. I, I just don't see them letting him go and making a deal too early that that they could come to regret later. Uh, and 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 things have kind of cooled off a little bit on the Mark Shafley front, especially with the new head coach in town. And that's where I think maybe uh, some of this could change. I, I don't know that it changes for Blake Wheeler, but maybe especially for uh, the other two guys. And then some of the you know defense trades that have been speculated out there. Uh, uh, I, I think they want to see what Rick Bonus and his new coaching staff can do with this hockey club. And I guess we'll find out starting, uh, what what is it, uh, Thursday, October 14th at home against the Rangers? That's right. That's the, the home opener, the season opener for the Jets. We'll get into the schedule later on in the show. Before I let you go, Kelly, uh, tomorrow night, first round of the draft, what's our plan on CJOB? Well, our plan is for me to join you uh, for five-minute segments. Uh, this is due to the uh, rules and regulations set up by the National Hockey League with respect to their national broadcast partners, and I get that. Uh, so when we're live at the draft, uh, I can you could talk about it all night. I can jump on for five-minute segments with you. So uh, the you idea want me to will set be... the timer, or do you want to do it? Uh, well, you know what? If neither one of us does, <laughs> then you know we can always say, oh. Did we really go seven minutes and 14 seconds? Are you Oops. sure? Yeah. So maybe if we both forget about it, we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll maybe be able to buy a little extra time. But uh, basically, we're going to, uh, you know, I'll, I'll join you to set the the, uh, the stage, obviously, at the start of the show. 
Uh, and then uh, we'll go for the top of the hour. And then as we work our way towards that 14th pick uh, for the Jets, uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll certainly want to uh, bring that to you live uh, and, uh, and, and just bring you as much of the flavor of the draft. Uh, you know, if there is that aha moment where all of a sudden, uh, you know, you just, I've been, I've been, it hasn't, it's been a long time, uh, 95, I think, since the last draft I was at. But even, you know, those nights when uh, we've been watching on TV, Christian, there's nothing more uh, that creates more of a stir than when uh, Commissioner Bettman stands up to the microphone and says, we have a trade to announce. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, and I, I think, you know, and, and I don't want to give away too much of the Kevin Shovel Day off clip, but, you know, you asked that question about what do you think is going to happen? Do you think it's going to be busy? Uh, I think not, maybe not as much for the Jets, but I think it's going to be busy uh, for a lot of other teams that are doing a lot of talking. I know uh, uh, Pierre Lebrun has talked about the Vancouver Canucks shopping JT Miller, and uh, wouldn't he be a great add to some teams' lineups? So I think, I think there's going to be a couple of occasions tomorrow night where Gary Bettman steps up to the mic and, all of a sudden, the hush will come across the crowd. Looking forward to it, Kelly. Appreciate this. Uh, looking forward to your reports tomorrow. Then joining, having you join me on the show tomorrow night. Absolutely. We'll do it then, sir, for sure. Kahari Jones out. Dana Machocha stepping onto the sideline of the Montreal Alouettes as we welcome in the voice of the Bombers, Derek Taylor, for our weekly visit with Derek, uh, this move today, Derek, was it a surprise that it happened to you? Uh, zero surprise to me, honestly, because I've been ta- yakking with uh, bomber great Milt Stiegel and Milton Kahari are, are great friends, and, and Milt was kind of, kind of, uh, it's like, it hurts to say this, but Kahari's on the hot seat, looking how they are, looking how they are, and, and, and there's a GM who wants to be the head coach, Milt believes. So I took that and I looked at the schedule and went, Oof, they got a rough start, and then if uh, after four games they're going against the Edmonton Elks, who I don't think are going to be a good team, week four would be the place to fire Kahari Jones. So together, Milt and I put our heads together and knew exactly when Kahari would be out because sometimes, sometimes it's just predictable that, hey, I'll take that job. I'll play a team that's not very good, and the Elks, I'll get a win, and everybody feels great about everything. I'm the best GM ever. And who knows? Who knows? But... It's it's hard to see Kahari get done like this. Yeah, they do it in a bye week, and then they have the Elks next week. And it, along the lines of the unfairness of it, if you're gonna, if everyone knows you're gonna do it four weeks into the season, why wait till the season starts to do it? I I guess it, the only thing I can come up with is well, uh, you could say well, I, we gave him a shot, and we fin- we started one and three. And we, we weren't doing very well. It's, that's the only thing I can think of. Why not just pull the trigger immediately? Maybe you, you hope that uh, Kahari is the Vernon Adams whisperer and, and can really have him start hot to the season. But uh, Vernon did not. And it's the Trevor Harris show now, which is thought to be what Machocha wanted all along. Who, who, who knows? But, you, you, I mean... If you don't give a coach any talent and then you say, well, you're fired because you, you didn't win any games. Well, you're the GM who didn't give many talent and let guys get out the door. Uh, so I don't, it's, it's, I get it, but it's not, I just don't think it's particularly fair. So last question on this topic. Do we think Kahari will resurface as an O coordinator somewhere down the road here? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I absolutely think he will. Um, 
gosh, as to where that would be, I guess th- things will have to kind of play out. I wonder what tr- if Toronto has a bad season, what happens there? Um, uh, people are already calling for Tommy Condell's head in Hamilton, which is a remarkable thing for a guy who's gone to uh, consecutive Grey Cups. But there's there's no reason to think Ahari Jones. Uh, he could be a head coach again in my books. I, I think players like him. I I think he's he's what the league needs. Um, yeah, I, I there's definitely space in the league for Kahari Jones in my mind for sure. All right, so the Winnipeg Blue Bombers survive a game in Toronto Monday where a lot of weird things happen, but in the end, the Bombers win by a single point. Uh, nice backdoor by the Argonauts, though I'm, I'm sure I don't know if Bombers fans who who had the minus three and a half would have wanted the the game to go to overtime. I think they're just happy with the win in that game. They're 4-0. Whatever it takes, they're 4-0. How should Bombers feel about the team's 4-0 start? Uh, they should feel trepidation, uh, I think, because uh, one stat I'll always, I'll always go to, just because we've seen it over time, is how you do in one-score games. And the Bombers are 3-0 in one-score games last this season. Last season, they were 1-2 in the regular season in one-score games. So what you're what you're seeing in those games, and you can point to examples from from this season in, in those one-score games, that to win a one-score game has a lot to do with luck. And we know that because teams, teams' records get worse the following season when they do win a lot of one-score games. So if not for these two bounces in the first game, Ottawa probably wins that. If not for these two bounces in the second game, okay, well, Ottawa may well won that one too. If not for... Uh, a missed convert from a guy who's 92% on his converts and an awful start from uh, and a, like an awful start from McLeod Bethel Thompson and a wacky interception right near the goal line. The Bombers may have lost that game. So there, there should be trepidation, but uh, ultimately getting the four wins will prove valuable when, you know, when they tally up a 13 and five record at the end of the season or whatever it is. But there's, there's a, there are things to be worried about. The coaches show yesterday, the first three callers were, what about the running game? As uh, I suspect you've discussed a ton on the show. Yeah, the running game has been non-existent for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers through three games. Let's face it, the offense, as far as I'm concerned, there's been a lot of mediocrity and a lot of two and outs and a lot of plays where you're like, oh, that's okay. I don't know about that one. But at the right times, they seem to spring it together and get clutch drives when they need it most. This this last game, right? That you know, you get the interception from Winston Rose. You're on the board. You get the touchdown from Drew Wolitarski, and then it kind of it went cold after that. It was three field yeah. goals after that, right? For 23-22, the final. It's this was this was an incre- this was a fantastic offense. Like we talked a ton about the defense in 2021 because it was otherworldly and this and that. But last year's offense was number one in a lot of categories as well. You go, well, that ain't just Andrew Harris. That ain't just Andrew Harris that's the problem there. So there's some other stuff going on. And Doug Brown and I, inside conversation on our Uber back from the stadium, I said to him, what happens if BC, you know, luck boxes into a 14-point lead? What's what's going to happen in that game? And Bomber fans listening, what's what's going to happen if the Bombers are down 14? How confident are you they could they could find two touchdowns to – to rally and then outscore an opponent by that much down the stretch. It would be, it would be interesting to see. Well, and what happened on Monday for the first time was the defense that so often bends, but doesn't break. It actually broke a bit in allowing that last drive touchdown. They get away with it, with the extra point being missed. And it sounds a lot of pessimism here for a team that's four and zero and has won the last two great cups. So we, we admit all that, but 
yeah. looking at this team that was so healthy last year, mentioned how, you know, they were the luckiest, if not, you know, you need more than just luck to be healthy, but they were the healthiest team in the CFL last year. It's starting to catch up to them this year with Michael Couture out, Nick Dembski's out, Kyrie Wilson, it looks like, is going to be out for a while too now. It's starting to add up, and the depth of this team is going to be really tested here, isn't it? Yeah, Mercy Maston as well, who was expected to start at that dime defensive back spot, heard in training camp. Uh, it, it absolutely is. And and those are things that you can't really fight. You just have to eat, right? Like uh, the Riders had so many guys on the six-game injured list last year, lost four guys in preseason. And you speak about the, the Bombers, who I think last year they started three different offensive line combinations, and one of them was just because they wanted to give guys a rest. So they've had seasons of just two or three or four different combinations of the offensive line while other teams run 10 or 12 or 13. And, and you go, at some point, like, at some point, yeah, it is it is injury luck, and you are going to be on the bad luck side of it. And it appears that's, that's the way it's going to be because – when we watched Kyrie Wilson, you know, kind of hop off the field, that 60-yard hop off the field, and when, when we saw him reemerge uh, during the game on crutches with his left foot wrapped up really, what looked like really seriously, you know, oh boy, okay, there, personnel-wise, Malik Clements is, is here, and he can, he can take over that spot on a regular basis, but there becomes a breaking point, right, where that's a lot of talent that that they're going to be missing for some length of time. Dakota Prukop as well, right, could be a valuable yeah. asset in certain situations. He's on the six-game injury list. And so this all brings us to the visit to Vancouver and the date with the BC Lions, who have been the story of the season so far. The two giant home wins against two teams that aren't good. And then they go to Ottawa and win a tight one against an Ottawa team that you know hasn't won yet, but looks to actually be decent. They just haven't been Great. able to get the breaks yet. I mean, this is kind of the lightning quick offense of the lines against the stingy bomber defense. Is that how you see it? I, I think that's what we have to expect, right? Nathan Rourke has been a lot of short passes and a lot of his stuff downfield has been schemed ridiculously wide open, it seems like. He had a couple of throws this last game, which were absolutely dynamite into, into real good coverage. But his, you know, the big points have been scored with guys wide open. And those, those probably aren't going to happen against the Bombers. And, okay, you want to go to the, the quick game stuff, but now you have to deal with Willie Jefferson, who's who's a different guy than, you know, the ends that, say, Ottawa would uh, would uh, have thrown at you. So it's it, it, I'm fascinated to see what it's going to be like. The, the one thing that could, could kind of decide this one is BC's defense. I mean, their offense is running wild, but their defense is really good yeah. as well. So what is the what does the Bombers' offense have against that back six, which looks really – Really fierce, and then oh, by the way, that front six with Boom Guachim and Tim Bonner and David Menard, uh, and, and I'm not sure if Woody Barron's there yet, but uh, BC is good on a lot of levels. But uh, how much can they? Uh, how much can Richie Hall? How much can that defense uh, bamboozle Nathan Rourke? Because uh, I wonder if a guy like Adam Hill, I mean, he's he's popped in consecutive games. I wonder if he pops in a third game and and shows Rourke some things that perhaps he hasn't seen before. Yeah, the BC Lions defense this year has been uh, allowing just 209 yards per game and has picked <laughs> off six passes through three yeah. games. And and again, again, the caveat is, you know, they just they destroyed the Argonauts. They gave up three points to the Argonauts and they crushed a, a, an Elks team that isn't very good either. 
Uh, but, you know, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are at the opposite end of the spectrum. They gave up all those yards to Ottawa in those first two games, didn't give up many points. So they're still actually giving up the most yards in the league at 315.5 per game. But they've only given up three touchdowns in four games. So that's ultimately what matters most. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see, because Doug and I remarked about it during the game, how much Toronto's tempo offense really, really got to the Bombers in that one, right? It was it was an awful, awful start if you're an Argos fan in that game. Uh, but then they moved the ball pretty pretty consistently and through the run game. Well, BC has a run game with James Butler in that that attack. If, I wonder what, the, what they took away from Toronto being able to bend, uh, bend the Bombers with that tempo offense, the get to the line of scrimmage immediately, don't let them substitute, go, go, go. I, I wonder if, if we'll see some of that. The, the save, one of the saving graces is there don't, no Brian Burnham in this game, right, on the six-game injured list. Spent time in hospital after Rourke threw him into just a vicious, vicious hit. So, uh, yeah, it'll be – it may well be – prediction? Can I give you a prediction? I, we, we predicted Greg McRae last week. Can I give you a prediction this time? Yeah. Malcolm Thompson is going to wreck somebody in this okay. game. Malcolm Thompson will wreck somebody because Rourke has thrown his receivers. He got he put Burnham in the hospital, and I call them hospital balls because jokingly, I don't I don't ever want to see Brian Burnham going to hospital. I love that dude. He got James Butler, I think, knocked out as well. He he's been putting receivers in dangerous spots, and Malcolm Thompson brings a load. Like that dude wants to hit people and have them stay hit. So uh, Malcolm Thompson is going to be laying some serious shots is my prediction for Saturday. On the topic of McCray, were you surprised to see him as involved as he was in Toronto? He had three catches and three rushes in that game. I, I absolutely was because, and it, th- this is kind of how, if folks don't go to practice, this is kind of how it works. Day one, you see kind of who's where and, and who's into stuff. Day two, you see more of who's where. Now you get a better idea. Okay, well, that guy's going to be here. That guy's going to be there. It's Brendan O'Leary orange in for Nick Dembski. On day three, uh, most teams close their practices, and for, and to me, that's where the where the important stuff gets done. Where we would have seen, oh man, this is a lot of Greg McRae because they didn't really tip that in days one or two. So when the game busts out, and oh, here's McRae on the field for I think it was the first play of the game, uh, and then oh, he's running, he's running from here, he's running from there. They're swinging and passes in the backfield. I I was surprised and. It's it's unfortunate for McCray to some of those passes he got blasted five yards behind the line of scrimmage and there was no chance for him to show off what he does. But he's a guy who has been a lot of things in training camp and a lot of things uh, you know in practice so far this season that he got a chance to try to stretch the you know stretch the defense horizontally, but it, it didn't go I think in any way that the the Bombers would have liked. So uh, hoping for a little more for him and a little chance for him to shine on Saturday as well. Just one last thing before I let you go, Derek. The hype around this game. It's a 3-0 and BC oh. Lions team that's having a resurgence against the 4-0 two-time defending champions. This is this has to be a great, you know, Saturday, 6 p.m. It's a perfect window for the CFL to shine this weekend, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's the running Canadian quarterback who's everybody's MOP through three weeks against the ferocious defense for, you know, that's, that has essentially won the last two Grey Cups, right? And all these defensive weapons against what looks like a supercharged offense, the Kansas City Chiefs version of the CFL team. It, it's, it's got every storyline that you want. And we're going to talk, I mean, we're going to ask guys tomorrow ad nauseum about Nathan Rourke and about Lucky Whitehead, who's been, 
at least limited in practice for a couple of days this week. And at you know this guy and that guy and that defense and oh my goodness, it's it's the perfect week five matchup. I'm so happy that uh, that both teams go into this undefeated because it just adds a little. It just adds a little extra. If it was three and zero and three and one or four and zero and two and one, it's not quite the same. But two unbeaten teams, two teams that you can kind of forecast. Oh, are they going to be battling for first place in the West come week twenty one? You know, and I'm so excited for this one. Well, I am too, Derek. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll be listening to your call Saturday night. Thanks for this, and uh, enjoy the rest of the week. Thanks, brother. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Of course, that is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you over the day. You may not share our intellect, which might explain.